Welcome to Menu Stories, a series where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast, and I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein. Today, we meet chef owner Jordan Kao and chef de cuisine Chris Yang of Aina, a refined Hawaiian enclave in San Francisco's Dogpatch neighborhood. The restaurant was born out of a popular Hawaiian food pop-up, and it has clearly fulfilled an unmet need, with lines out the door and a constantly packed house to prove it. Aina's bright and sunny space and equally sunny food options have won over just about everyone, especially San Francisco's discerning brunch crowd. But there's more to this restaurant than what meets the morning eye. Keao, who was born and raised in Hawaii, and Yang, who spent his college years there, are fighting a larger battle to shed light on the history of the Hawaiian people and culture through food. The tale is all too familiar. America arrives to a beautiful tropical island, claiming it for its own, with the culture and stories of the island's longtime occupants getting washed away. We heard something similar on menu stories with Prubechu and the history of Guam and learned that Hawaii's story isn't all that different. Thankfully, we are now able to hear this story. Join us as we discover the history and culture of Hawaii the way Keao and Yang tell it, through delicious, authentic food. Let's have a listen. Aina, with chef owner Jordan Keao and chef de cuisine Chris Yang. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here. here. Could each of you introduce yourselves and your roles? Uh, my name is Jordan Keao. Um, chef owner of Aina Restaurant. Hey, my name is Chris Yang and I'm the chef de cuisine. So in your own words, what is Aina? I think Aina is a mentality. Um, it's why we chose the name Aina, which means land and earth, that which feeds us. We wanted a word that represented a thought process to how we approach food, ingredients, people, and just the industry in general, which is just honoring the land and what the farmers give us. So if we source really great ingredients and have great partnerships with farmers, fishermen, guys who raise amazing hogs, we're gonna have better food. We believe that, we truly believe that. We truly believe that the hard work is done before we get the food, um, and we wanna just respect that. So where are each of you from? You're not from the Bay Area. I'm actually was born and raised on the Big Island of Hawaii in Hilo, actually in the mountains, Waikia Uko to be exact. So I grew up with a different um, vision of what Hawaii is versus most people. Um, super country, really living off of the land. I grew up in, in the mountains uh, in a town called Waikia Uka and it's very country, very rustic, very simple, um, but there's so much different uh, cultural influences from all different areas in Hawaii. So I was fortunate enough to grow up with that, and I didn't realize how special it was until I left. And when, you, when I left to go to Boston, that was a different culture shock because I realized that things are so different around the world. And I was 13 years old, which is a pretty formidable year to change locations like that and also surroundings as well as culture. Um, so it kind of made me realize, wow, like fresh fish living off of the land, that's a very rare thing. So I kind of started to appreciate it that much more and started, you know, remembering more of the stories and the history of where I'm from. What brought you to Boston? My mom wanted us to move to the, you know, to the mainland um, for just better education. And she knew high school was approaching, so she wanted to make sure that we made that move before high school happened. And she said if she's going to move to the mainland, she's going to move to the place in the, the East Coast is known for so many great schools and such a close area. So she chose Boston, a lot of great colleges, um, really great high schools. So I ended up going to a Jesuit Catholic high school, which is a totally different from a public high school in Hawaii. Um, and I'm really fortunate for that. It gave me a lot of great foundation for me to go to college from there. And, uh, and, and what brought you out to San Francisco? I always knew I wanted to be in San Francisco for the food scene. It was always very unique. It attracted me because the culture here in San Francisco is very laid back. 
more so than most more so than in Southern California. And when I found that out, it kind of blew me away because um, I actually lived in San Diego before San Francisco, and, and it was actually more high maintenance than I would have expected. I mean, San Francisco is the kind of city where you could be standing next to a billionaire, and he's wearing jeans and a t-shirt, and not even know it, and not even know yeah. it, and just be total casual about things. But yeah, people know their stuff. They know their food, they know their service, they appreciate good food and good service, which is another thing when you're opening up a business is, do your clientele know what they're paying for, understand, or care? There's mm, less There's less authenticity, dare I say, in Southern California. Yes. As somebody who lived there for a little while. Okay, um, so I can, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I could, I could understand that, um, especially when it comes to the food, the food culture there. Um, so, and uh, Chef Chris, what about you? Are you from the area? Yeah, I'm actually born and raised here in Bay Area. Uh, born in Berkeley, lived here for a little bit. Uh, my dad was with hotels, um, so he's definitely in the industry, and we moved around a lot. Um, I've been in Chicago, Indiana, Arizona. Uh, my grandparents are actually from Japan, so we actually, actually used to go to Hawaii a lot. Um, that's kind of where I got my love of Hawaiian culture. Um, I went to University of Hawaii for college, and after culinary school, I went back to Hawaii and worked some more. Um, so I definitely have a deep respect and love for the Hawaiian culture, and not only Hawaiian culture, but the local Hawaiian culture, and how it's kind of more of a, I guess, more of a melting pot um, of all these Asian cultures. So. Yeah. Um, wow, you went to university and then culinary school. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was going to make a joke about student debt. That's not very funny. Problem is real. I don't have any debt anymore. Well, wow. I don't have any student debt anymore. <laughs> Congratulations. Keyword student debt. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. So, I wish I could say that. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> That'll get edited out, don't yeah. um, So, um, let's see. So, what got what got each of you? You both kind of um, uh, we heard we heard where you're from, and the fact uh, like we heard where you're from, and we heard your connection to Hawaii. But what got you both into food, and what was your first memory or experience with food? Um, I think we're both actually very similar. Um, we've kind of just shared, sharing stories uh, for the past couple of months, kind of talking about what inspires us. And for me, really, um, growing up, I grew up around my grandparents, my aunts, my mom and dad, and they all cooked. So from a little kid, I'd be sitting on the counter peeling string beans or you know, cutting some onions. And the biggest thing I always would do is cleaning the string beans and my mom didn't want to do it. Um, watching my grandma cook and you know I really just I really knew that I wanted to be in the industry, I wanted to be a chef from a little kid. Really? Yeah. What what do you think um, what made you think that that was even a career option? Um I love to eat. Um, so definitely kind of just translated and I'm, I was a very picky eater when I was a kid. So I learned real quick that if I was the one making the food I would be the only one to blame if I didn't like it. <laughs> so, you know, definitely, like I said, I love to eat, so it definitely just translated. And were you able to start taking more ownership in the kitchen at home when you were a kid? Um, Gotta fight the aunties off yeah, first. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I tried to. You know, I was definitely relegated to all the menial prep tasks, you know. Um, 
I was able to learn how to cook rice, finally, about six years old. Um, I wasn't able to cook anything on the hot stove, about seven or eight, really. But I would just sit there, really, on the counter, just watching. You know, my brother would be playing video games, playing outside with our cousins, and I'd be sitting inside on the, on the kitchen counter, just watching my my grandma and my aunties and my mom cook all the time. So that's great. Yeah. Chef Jordan, what about you? Yeah, um, very similar background, you know. Um, grew up with a smell of chicken stock, always on the stove. Um, December would come around, and in my family, like, making Christmas cookies is a huge thing. And when I say Christmas cookies, I mean, like, um, close to, like, a quarter of a million Christmas cookies. Like, 250,000 cookies was our record one year. Um, and it took us all of December, obviously. And in Hawaii, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so that would be our gift to people friends, neighbors, and Hawaii's very close, you know, you know your neighbors, like they're already family, and so your Christmas becomes that much bigger because of it, and everyone really gives those thoughtful gifts because of that, so that was how I grew up, and never thought of it as a career until I got older, um, I actually went into windsurfing, and was kind of going to head down that path, until I realized, you know what, I should go to college, Why? get an education. What made, you, what made you have that thought? To go to college? Well, you know, in Hawaii, we, we grew up with the mentality of um, college isn't necessary just because it's, there's so many other things going on that are positive and you don't necessarily need to have a need for a college. But when you move to a place like Boston, you start realizing that college is actually like the standard. It's like going to high school. It's just expected. And I also wanted to make sure that if things happen down the road, say I got an injury as an you know, athlete, I had a career or a degree to fall back on. I was trying to be logical about things. Um, so I ended up going to um, culinary school, getting a liberal arts degree as well as a culinary degree. Um, and a lot of that inspiration actually came from when I moved back to Hawaii when I was 18 after living in Boston for six years. That kind of got me to reset my thought about my future, what kind of impact I wanted to make, what kind of message I wanted to send people with, that, you know, with my job. We all have a choice in what kind of career we choose and what kind of message that sends to people. So I wanted something that kind of gave more pride of where I'm from. When you live in Boston, you hear a lot of comments of, you know, oh, Hawaiian food, that's pineapple and pizza or pineapple and chicken. And it's not even something that we would eat or think about eating in Hawaii. So I started realizing that there's a huge misconception of what local food in Hawaii is, but better yet, what Hawaiian food is. I wanted to start digging deeper into that. So going to culinary school, getting a really solid foundation, and then trying to recreate those stories and memories that I had growing up as a kid and eating all those foods that, honestly, you can't find anywhere in the mainland. What made you want to focus on telling the Hawaiian story uh, through the food lens versus through another kind of storytelling mechanism? Well, food's one of those things where it brings people together because when people eat, their guard is down. When people have their guard down, you have the opportunity to educate, give people more information. They're going to be more likely to retain it because they're also getting nutrients, which in Hawaii we call mana. When you eat something, you inherit the life force within that. Whether it's the vitamins, the nutrients, whatever you want to call it, there is a life force that you consume, and there's also a respect that comes with that. The energy and the power. This is Rebecca Goberstein, and you're listening to Menu Stories, a series where we get to know the stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. This is our podcast, and we'll be right back with chef owner Jordan Kayao and chef de cuisine Chris Yang of Aina. So what, what is Hawaiian food, and what, what do you want people to know about what real Hawaiians eat? I think the first thing that we usually start off with when we have this conversation with people is we break it into two categories. There's local food in Hawaii, then there's Hawaiian food. 
Hawaiian food is something that actually came from Hawaiians. That's a tradition of, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 years old. Local food in Hawaii is a mix-up of cultures and food in Hawaii that was a result of a plantation days in Hawaii, which is the early 1900s, sugarcane, pineapple plantations, which is why pineapple is popular, just not in Hawaii. <laughs> um, you know, you might see people eating it fresh, but that's about it. And that's just because it's delicious, you know. But uh, we like to start off with the two different categories. The local food in Hawaii is a combination of Japanese, Portuguese, Filipino, Chinese cultures. And it's kind of an eclectic mix. And it's not fusion. And the first reason why I say it's not fusion is because it was an organic makeup of cultures just naturally. Fusion is when things are forced. So I always try to make sure people understand, like, because I don't like the word fusion. Even at Aina, what we do is we create those dishes that have been done already. So we say, you know, the hard work's been done, we're just refining it a little bit and making it more modern or relevant to our area with ingredients. And that's a really, really big, important thing to remember when we talk about local food in Hawaii versus Hawaiian food. Because then there's Hawaiian dishes like lao lao, squid luau. Those are dishes that you can trace back a thousand, two thousand years in Hawaiian culture. Um, and in Hawaii, we have a term for the Royal Hawaiian bloodline and it's called kanaka maoli. And the reason why I like talking about those kinds of things is because a lot of people will go to Hawaii and say, oh, I met a lot of Hawaiian people. And it's like, yeah, you know, Hawaiian at heart, Hawaiian locals, true. But Kanaka Maoli, do they have the Hawaiian blood? It's totally different. You would be surprised, but a lot of people don't even know that there's a Hawaiian ethnicity. Um, and at one point, there were almost a million people living on every island in Hawaii until, you know, a lot of the disease and stuff came. But before, you know, a lot of foreigners were visiting there in the, I would say, 1700s, it was a very populated place and it was a sustainable place. They had fish farms. Um, actual farms where they grew all their food, living off of the land and the ocean, supplied all that to them. I mean, that just goes to show you that I don't think uh, a lot of schools on the mainland teach any of the Hawaiian history at all. And better yet, even schools in Hawaii don't teach it. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That was one thing that um, when I went to UH, it was a required uh, class that you had to take Hawaiian studies. Um, whether it was the history of Hawaii or the language of Hawaii, it was, you had to take at least two, three classes in order to graduate. You know, that was definitely very eye-opening for me, because um, like I said, growing up, even on the mainland, like Chef Jordan said, in Hawaii, like, they don't teach a lot of those things. So it's, it was definitely a good thing that I was able to, to learn all that. Yeah. Do you guys know the team at Prebetu? Mm-hmm. Sean and Sean. Yes, the Seans. Yeah. We had um, the Seans from Prebetu on Menu Stories, and some of what you are sharing about Hawaii reminds me of what they were sharing with us about Guam and sort of the erasure of the Armenian culture and how little Americans know about the territory. And, and Hawaii, as a, an official state of the United States, it's kind of sad that we don't know the history of it and that it's not really... Um, even like you said, Hawaiian food isn't even something that's really known. So how did these thoughts manifest into the development of Aina? A really good memory that I have is, uh, I think I was about six months into culinary school and they give you, you know, your textbook and we're studying regional cuisine and Hawaii shows up in the book. And you're like, oh cool, Hawaii, like, oh man, I can't wait to see what they have in here. And you open it up and you're like, oh wow. Like it's, it's like pineapple chicken, canned spam, all kinds of things that I didn't relate to and I didn't identify with Hawaiian food. So if that's being taught in culinary schools, we're already off to a bad start. Then it started to become more of like a, I need to change the perception or I want to change the perception. I don't know if I'm the best person to kind of like lead the charge or be an ambassador for those kinds of things, but I was willing to kind of rise to the occasion. 
And um, that's where a lot of my influence came from was, you know, that moment right there is probably the biggest moment that I realized that I, I really want to focus more on the food that I grew up with and teaching people more about it. So what actually happened to turn that into an actual restaurant concept and actually moving it forward and, and bringing it into reality? It's funny, we, um, we had the opportunity to have a pop-up. We found a great space, um, the landlord was awesome. Uh, currently, uh, at that time, I was working at Airbnb as a chef, helping build up their food program. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. I had a nine-to-five job, which is very rare <laughs> in our industry. So I was taking advantage of it, and I realized that I, I'm used to working such long days that working a nine-to-five for me is like working a half day every day. <laughs> so I kind of um, looked at doing a pop-up, and I had worked with my business partner, Jason, at Lawfully in previous years, and we had always talked about doing it something together. We had done private events together um, for certain clients that I had asked or requested me. After a while, I started thinking to myself, I want to do an actual location. So a pop-up came to mind. We had the weekend spot, Saturday, Sunday. Brunch seemed like the most appropriate, given the fact that I didn't have a nine to five. So we decided to do food. And at first, we didn't even know what we were going to do as far as food. You know, I wanted to do something that was different because the city needs something different. And I started going back to Hawaii more often. What do you mean the city needed something different? We need more ethnically driven restaurants. The city used to be like that, I feel like. New York is really like that. LA is like that. But here it's like, if you want good Ethiopian food, super hard to find, you know? That's why we like a place like Pervichu, is like, you go there and you're like, wow, this is something different and it's really good food. There's so many Italian, Spanish restaurants opening up nowadays in this city that are all really delicious, but saturated. When are we going to start to see more more cultures being represented properly. I can't wait to see what Filipino food has to offer. Because the food and the flavor is already there. Somebody's just going to refine it and do it justice, you know, in a, in a more of a modern way. And I think that's a really exciting movement that I'm looking at right now. What are some other restaurants that you think are doing doing that and sort of telling the story of different ethnicities and cultures through food in San Francisco? Um, I really like uh, La Sitchia. They focus on Sardinian food, but it's so regional the dishes that they cook, because they all cook it from their homeland. They leave and they close the restaurant for like one or two weeks every year and go back home. They have their own wine dinner back home. So it's literally like you're getting their home experience in San Francisco. To me, that's that's like a Michelin star experience right there. It's just because it's not plated refinely or with you know tweezers or whatever, it might not be in that category. But if you talk about the effort that gets put into it, the originality of each one of those dishes, to me, that's... It's huge. I think definitely, like you said, the most important part is the ability to be able to tell a story through your food. I know we had talked about Perpetua and the Shans and, you know, from before they opened Perpetua and they're kind of seeing the whole process and they've definitely come a long way and it's that story. It's like kind of what they're trying to do for Armenian food, Chamoran food is I feel what we're really trying to do for Hawaiian food is really, I don't like to say educate, seems kind of elitist, but more of just open everyone's mind and show everyone what real Hawaiian food is and what it can it can be. So it sounds like from the pop-up you got a sense for the desire for this kind of food because sometimes it's like you you might want to tell a story but people don't actually want to hear it. What do you think drew an audience to this food and to into what you're bringing here? Rice and eggs. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's I wish when you think about it and I actually did do research before we even opened the pop-up I was trying to find a space where you could actually get a decent meal with rice and eggs for brunch. And unless you go to Daily City and you go to a few of like the local Filipino restaurants, it's hard to find a place that has rice and eggs. Every place does a standard brunch menu or breakfast menu, which is great. And don't get me wrong, you'll catch me at those spots once in a while. But 
what happened to doing something different or giving something that people weren't expecting or that was original? What's so special about rice and eggs? It's like the Holy Trinity. Yeah. You throw, well, you have to add furikake in there, then, yeah. it's, then it's the Holy Trinity. <laughs> um, it's the balance, you know? We call it stick to your ribs rice. And when that egg is perfectly cooked and it's coating over the rice, it's almost like you're creating sushi rice, but with the yolk, and then you have the furikake for your saltiness and your season, and then your, your seaweed. It's one of the best combinations, and you know any Asian culture can appreciate that for sure. Any person can appreciate that. I didn't realize that the man was going to be that high because the pop-up was very rustic. You know, we weren't trying to make the food as elegant as we are now. Um, now we have the time to do that because I'm not working, you know, more than a couple jobs. But I realized that people really like the food and the soulfulness of it, and the rice and the eggs. You know, every dish on our menu pretty much has rice and eggs, but in a different way. Whether it's the way that the eggs are cooked, whether it's you know the style of the rice, everything kind of varies. We weren't very rich growing up, you know, we, we definitely did well, but we always had rice and we always had eggs. And it was kind of like whatever we had left over. So in the morning, instead of making cereal or pancakes, we'd always have rice and eggs. And, you know, I, what really brought me to here and, and to work for Chef Dorna is just the soulfulness and really coming back and it's comfortable. You know, I still eat that almost every day, rice and eggs. <laughs> Throw a little you know, spam on that. Not only in the morning, I get home one o'clock in the morning, rice and eggs. You know, it's just something that is just, like Jeff said, stick to your ribs. It just makes you feel good at the end of a long day. So, Aina's been open for eight months now. What's, um, what's been the most challenging thing and sort of surprising thing as you've been in the first year of your journey? You know, I think we've been very lucky. We haven't experienced as many challenges as most places do during their first year. I think I would say the biggest challenge for us right now is finding cooks and just any part of the restaurant industry, any employee that naturally has that care and that glow and that respect towards themselves and what they do every day. It's just a rare quality to find, I think, in any profession. So that's been our biggest challenge is to find people that are like that. We want to make sure that people that we bring on aren't just experienced because people use the word aloha a lot. We don't use the word aloha here. We show how, to, how aloha is, because aloha is an action, it's a mentality, it's the way you act. It's giving things to people unconditionally without expecting anything in return. That's true aloha. So we like to act out and live aloha versus saying aloha to people. We say ekomamai, which means welcome, welcome into my home, or mahalo nui, thank you very much, which I think represents Hawaiian culture better. Finding people that have that mentality, that mindset, or the willingness to learn those things has been the biggest challenge for us. I think that's a common... It's a common struggle with yeah. a lot of restaurants we end up talking to. Especially, um, um, you know, we have such a small staff. And we're such close-knit that everyone's ohana. Ohana is family in Hawaiian. And it's more important for us to foster a good working environment and make sure everyone meshes. We're trying to grow our ohana right yeah. now, and we're hoping to make it, you know, bigger. And the more people that come in here, you know, we pick a Hawaiian word of the week every week. So we also talk about the culture as well as the language because we want people to embrace the whole thing. You know, we don't want to be flashy about it. We just want to start with our own staff if we're trying to influence and you know, teach people certain things about what we grew up. We have to kind of start with ourselves. You know, it's kind of pretentious if we start you know, telling everyone else, but we're not even acting it out or practicing it in our own home. So what's been the most rewarding thing about what you've been able to do in the last eight months? For me, it's every day. I would say the best thing that's happened in the past eight months is the things that happen every day. I get guests that come up to me once in a while, and I say once in a while, sometimes it's like almost like one person an hour, will come up to me and they'll tell their story of who they are, where they're from, 
And it usually has some kind of ties to Hawaii, whether they were from there, their parents were from there, they brought their grandma in who was born and raised in Hawaii. To see their genuine happiness, I mean, unconditional happiness, where you're just, they're just like, thank you so much for doing this, because they understand that we're trying to change that perception of what local food is uh, and what Hawaiian food is. And they also know it tastes good. And to have them come in, get that memory back from when they were a kid, and they had their first loco moco, and they're just sitting there digging in. I mean, and the plate's gone in five minutes, and you're like, wow, they really enjoyed that. Those are like the moments that make the 16-hour days even like possible. Like that's how I, that's why I get up in the morning every morning. I think it's definitely seeing the reaction on people's face, and you know, it's it's very rewarding. A lot of times during service, me or Chef Jordan will actually run the food, and we'll promote for the cooks to actually run the food as well. And it gives the customer and the diner definitely a better experience because, oh, my, this is the person who cooked my food for me. And it's very similar to what we would do if we invited people to come into our house. This Hawaiian chef from Maui, Sheldon Simeon, his big uh, tagline is, come my house and eat. And we're really trying to embrace that. And, you know, it's it really is, you're coming to our house to eat and we're serving you. Everyone's family when they come in here. What are you two looking forward to next? You know, right now we're really excited about dinner. The dinner menu we have right now has been open for about six to seven weeks. And the response has been great. It's been awesome to see some of these rustic dishes that I grew up eating. Dishes inspired by beef jerky, where smoked meat comes from a lot of the country influence in Hawaii. Seeing that dish refined and being dropped and having people who know that dish as jerky or dry meat and then seeing the way it looks and then taste, to me that's pretty cool. And I would hope that we can ride that as long as possible and keep on driving that. There's more Hawaiian food at dinner, whereas in brunch we try to foster more like the local food in Hawaii. But that's what we're really excited about. The dinner menu has a chance for us to be more creative, more digging into the heart and the soul of Hawaii. Uh, right now we're working on a dish called uh, Lao Lao, and that's one of those dishes that you can definitely trace back a long time in Hawaiian culture. And it's my favorite dish to eat. It's the first dish I eat when I go back. It also traditionally gets served with poi, which is taro root. A lot of Americans aren't really that enthused about it. Um, so my goal has been to, okay, how do we make it in the most truest form without losing the soul, but where the guest still understands when you eat that poi and that lalao together, you have harmony and you have like a quintessential Hawaiian dish. The most important plant in the Hawaiian culture is a taro plant, the, the root, and then the leaf, which we call kalo. And that dish has poi, which is from the root, and then kalo, taro leaf, wrapped around the pork, which is inside the lalao. And to me, that's a dish that once we're trying to refine and get that sent out for the dinner, I think I'm gonna be really, really happy to see the response from that. And being able to bring our own taro root in from Hawaii, make our own paia ai and poi, which is a very traditional process for steaming and then pounding out the root to form like a paste or a sauce. That is totally different when you do it fresh and you serve it fresh versus you know buying a frozen one, which is still delicious, but if we're trying to win somebody over, we gotta start at like its truest form. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, and we can't wait to see the dinner menu evolve and, uh, and continue to explore Hawaiian culture and yeah. local food. Mahalo nui, thank you very much. Thank you. Mahalo nui. Is that right to say back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You just heard the 47th episode of Menu Stories, an ongoing series of multimedia stories about the people and restaurants behind the food we love. If you enjoyed this story, please spread the word to your friends about the work we do. Subscribe to the Menu Stories series on menustories.com so you can get the next episode delivered to your inbox. 
There you'll also find the complete Ina episode with pictures and a behind the scenes video. You can find us on Facebook, Pinterest, and Instagram at Menu Stories. And on Twitter, we are at Menu underscore Stories. This podcast is also available on iTunes. This episode was edited and produced by yours truly. Special thanks to Monica Lowe, who photographed this episode and did all of the photography editing, and to Patrick Wong, Menu Stories video producer and videographer. I'm your host, Rebecca Goberstein, and hang tight while we take a brief hiatus for the summer. We'll be back with all new episodes in no time. Until then, happy eating. Happy eating.